before we get started, we just want to thank a few new patrons. I want to thank Chloe, John, Ariel, Liz, and Robin for becoming patrons. With an extra special thanks to Rebecca for the first person to claim a portrait at the $10 level. Thanks, y'all. Yes, thank you all so much. Um, I also just want to real quick remind our existing $10 patrons who have not yet uh, gotten in touch to get their portraits, because of course you all get portraits too. So Hannah, Jess, Leanne, and Skye, please check your Patreon messages for an email from us about how to get your portrait. And then we want to also thank our newest review leavers. So uh, Ilana the Hufflepuff and <laughs> Lil Weasley. Thank oh my you. God. I know. Thank you so much. Also, Lil Weasley is our first UK review. So that's rad and exciting. Leave us reviews, you guys. It makes us happy. Also, if there's not someone who making Harry Potter slash nerd rap and hip-hop whose name isn't little weasley it's someone's really missing an opportunity right now that's true it could be you listener (laughs) you could be missing the opportunity and you have the chance to correct that (laughs) (sighs) um and then before we go we have to of course remind you that it is october we're doing this patreon promo Get a portrait of your beautiful self if you join or upgrade to the $10 or $25 a month levels. And we need all of these claimed by the end of the month to keep going at the rate that we're going. So just a little sense of urgency for you if you've been thinking about it but haven't done it yet. It would be good if you did. Uh, there's only seven Buckbeak level portraits available and 20 Hedwig level portraits still available. Um, yeah, you should you should do it. Patreon's awesome. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, we are as of the time that we're recording this, which is not for the episode that it will be attached to. However, uh, we are recording in costume because it this episode will come out almost on Halloween and our Hedwig and Buckbeak level patrons get a video version early release of this episode. And um, I'm dressed as Giles from Buffy and Jesse is a bunny. I'm a bunny because it must be, you know, it might be bunnies. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Okay, so you're Anya. Anya in her scariest Halloween costume. Yes, this is perfect. Uh, I need a chainsaw. Um, <laughs> I have the wrong. I have the wrong prop. I have the vamp- vampire book, but I should have a chainsaw. Or a poncho. <laughs> oh what? That's the same episode. Oh my God. He's wearing the poncho in the sombrero. I feel like even if you're dressing as someone else dressing in a culturally appropriate costume, you still can't do that. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. You should. You shouldn't do that part. It just. It's ridiculous. And <laughs> it it's is so ridiculous. Conti- I'm not even watching the episode, and it makes me laugh. So. Yeah. Yes. Please join us on Patreon. Two weeks left, I think, as of when this episode comes out. So. Scurry, scurry, and with that. Mm-hmm.
The Gailey Prophet operates under the assumption that you have read the books. If you haven't read the books, go and read them. They're wonderful. And then come back to us. Otherwise, you're going to be spoiled. And that's your choice in this world. <laughs>
So I am, I think I would like to, if you're comfortable with it, just definitively say that this cage is magic. Yeah, no, it has to be just because Harry also carries it under his arm when he leaves. But yes, it's big enough to hold two owls and presumably Errol is like collapsing the bottom of the cage. Right. And they're both big owls. So. So the cage is bigger on the inside. <laughs> it is. Yes. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Great. So now that we've decided that we don't have to keep questioning it, which is kind of a relief because there's never going to come a point where we have an answer to the question that's like canonical. Yeah. So. I feel like it just changes for whatever ever sentence the cage needs to happen. It like. <laughs> My next point is, is that I feel like even if Harry didn't blow up Marge, I don't think Vernon would have signed that permission slip. Ooh, you're probably right. And that kind of like turns my stomach. Because that's the kind of shit they would do. Totally. Oh, Harry, ever hopeful. Ever, ever naive. Totally. Why didn't he just forge it? I don't, I will never understand. Maybe there's some weird magic with that. Because yeah, right. Why didn't he just forge it? Uh, My next front page is that bulldogs don't have tails um they're not they're not docked like they just don't have tails so to step on ripper's tail would have required an incredible amount of work you know i was thinking about that but didn't add it because i looked up a little bit of bulldog information for my later editorial about marge's whole deal um uh-huh. And yeah, they don't they don't have tails. They're just little, no. little nubs. Yep. Unless her yeah. And then I was cuz I I looked it up and then I was like but even if I find that they do have tails, like a breeder would never not dock the tails of a dog breed that they dock the tails of. Like it's very uncommon. So yeah. And Marge for sure would be a tail docker. She sure would. And she would vehemently <laughs> Attack anyone who suggested that she didn't do that. Yep. Speaking more of Marge. Um, okay, so her friend, I'm putting in quotation marks, Colonel Fubster, she's totally in a relationship with and she totally tops him. Correct? Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so my last one is also at Marge related and it, but also sort of just like broadly is it a thing for relatives to pay children to let them give them physical affection i don't know i just assumed that was i assumed that that's not a thing but it is just showing how like empty and soulless this family is i don't know it's just such a weird it's so weird that it made me think that like this must be this must be a thing or maybe like I couldn't tell if it was like I want to hug you so I'll pay you for it or it was like I want to slip you cash that your parents wouldn't let me and so like I give you this hug as a way to like sneak you a 20 which makes more sense to me. I guess I had read it as being paid to be nice to her but I feel like your explanation also makes sense because it's not like dudley has an issue with sucking up to people who want to praise him right exactly and also she would never tolerate him not 
sucking up to her you know like she would never like think it would be beneath her to like bribe him to do that so yeah just that just has always confused me and maybe it's just the phrasing that like dudley was well paid to put up with her hugs and maybe that just is the phrasing is like off-putting but really all she's doing is like you know petunia would be like marge don't give dudley money i don't know or however i'm sure much money she has given him over the course of this week right or maybe it's just to make it be like it's our secret that i like sneak you money because we have such a like chummy relationship yeah i thought that could also be it okay that's it for front page for me um i have a couple of things i find it there's a line in this chapter where Marge is like, if it were me, you would have been shipped right off to the orphanage. And Harry's like, yeah, I wish. And then I'm like, do you, Harry, though? <laughs> I mean, the abuse that he gets, especially in this chapter, is horrendous. But I don't know if being in an orphanage... I mean, I guess it would be shitty in a different way. Are there... This is such an ignorant question. Are there still orphanages? There's, like, group homes and foster care. And obviously, I don't know if that's the same as, like in the uk as it is here but i i don't i don't think orphanages exist in the u.s i don't know about the uk it could also just be a thing where it's like a place like saint brutus's school for criminally inept children or whatever it's called is a thing so like why not something as acronistic as an orphanage right yeah because I mean, again, I don't know. I don't know about in the in the early '90s. There's a lot that I don't yeah. know about. But um, to be honest, I kind of feel like Harry may have been better off. You know, it's a crapshoot, right? But like. With the Dursleys, there was a 100% chance that he was going to be horrendously abused. Whereas, like, with the toss-up of, like, the foster system, there was, like, at least a chance that he would land with a family that wouldn't abuse him. That's true. Also, like, babies, right? Babies are, like, hard to come by and, like, the hardest to... Yeah, people really want babies. Yeah. But I guess there is also the question, I mean, I guess maybe we talked about this, if Harry as a half-blood would have gone to a muggle orphanage anyway, or if the ministry, or if like someone in the magical community would have stepped in. If we're thinking about a situation where it's like Dumbledore didn't interfere to put him in the situation, I guess. Oh, if Dumbledore didn't interfere, I think he, he would have been adopted within the witching world. 100 Mm percent but if dumbledore had attempted to interfere and had left him with the dursleys and they had like given him over to the state i think at at one the chances of him being uh, adopted as opposed to like staying in the foster system are probably pretty high again i'm not an expert in this like but you know i when i was considering 
bringing children into my life went as far as like talking to an adoption agency and they said like only 15% of their infant adoptions actually go through because like parents back out like biological parents change their minds partway through the process like incredibly often so I you know I, I do think that it is the case that like babies are are harder to find but like there are adoptive parents that are looking for them more than for older kids because reasons right yeah whatever weird reasons people tell themselves um okay <laughs> which is probably this was a very heavy front page discussion yeah yeah i feel like i feel like everything i have is really pretty heavy there really is not much joking <laughs> Right, I, no, this is another, like, it's sad theme song chapter. Welcome to the politics section, slash, the only section in this episode, where we talk about things that are fucked up, slash, everything in this chapter. Yeah, uh, literally 95% of my notes are just about March. As a person Mm -hmm. and a symbol and how much I wanted to shank her this entire chapter. Yeah, listeners, when Jessie was prepping for this chapter, she was texting me about, like, how much she hates Marge. Let it, it's time. It's time. Loose your feelings. Um, Do you want me to start then? I sure do. Yeah. All right. Okay. So part, so the biggest thing that... There's a lot of fucking things happening in this chapter, y'all. But I think the part that made me the most angry is that the reason why I hate Marge so much is that she is, like, the worst kind of white lady who, like, upholds nationalist patriarchal violence Mm. and, in fact, even just and like almost like compensates by by like enacting it even more than like white dudes mm-hmm. and it's very clear that this has broken her as a person <laughs> um because like she just it's like negative empathy mm-hmm. but also like just like her rage at Harry deviating from like what she considers the norm is just like fucking like slow your roll Mm -hmm. like you have so much rage at a fucking child yep it's just I'm just making hand gestures because I just hate her so much she's she's using Harry basically as like a catalyst for all of the like anger and frustration Uh, frustration that she has presumably about like immigrants and people of color generally and people who like i don't know do (laughs) think thinking about the first chapter of book one wear robes wear weird clothes in public (laughs) you know wear wear pointed witch hats and robes in public (laughs) yeah i feel like because she she obviously lives like an insular life where she never has the opportunity to direct 
those feelings to the people in question she just like is in a feedback loop presumably with colonel fubster and like phone calls with vernon and so she like gets with harry and is like oh i get to like say it to the source and then just is a literal actual monster yeah and i feel like so as a black person in the United States, I have sort of a hard time being like, Marge would really treat a white person like this. <laughs> if, you know, if people mm. read Harry as white. And so I feel like if we're reading him as brown, it's so much, I don't want to say easier, but it's like the l- literal embodiment of a thing that she hates as a racist nationalist mm-hmm. person. I don't know where it's going with that. But, like, it's also, I feel like, the way that, like, white people in the UK and, like, in Europe are bigoted against other white people from other countries is a concept that I'm still very confused by, personally, Mm. is I'm just like, but you're all white. (laughs) What is this? Like, I don't understand. But, you know, people, I don't know, love to do that shit, I guess. I I mean, we have it, I think, with, like, Southerners in the US, right? Like, yeah, or just, like... Southerners slash like hillbillies, like poor. Yeah. Poor yeah, like whites. the idea of like white people who are like quote unquote like white trash and like sort of like classes stuff for sure. Um, but I mean, Marge's rage is like out of control. But I think also part of that is that in reading this chapter, you realize that both of them were clearly had the shit beaten out of them as children when they were growing up. Totally. Like, this is some, like, hardcore, like, generational cycle of abuse going on. Like, the fact that they both, like, they're both responses to discipline are like, you need to be beaten more. Like, we need to beat you into submission shows that they were both beaten into submission as children. Yeah, and they're totally like, the people that, like, write into Dear Prudence when, like, he speaks out against or like you know says that like spanking children isn't okay and like write angry letters being like i was spanked and i'm fine you know like this isn't even about you bro i even i've like i mean i've i've had people tell me that in person where it's like um i don't know if you turned out okay i don't think you did like i mean (laughs) i got i mean you know i was i mean I wouldn't say I was spanked as a child because my grandparents were from the South. So it was like, here is a, like, an extension cord. And it never stopped me from, like, doing anything bad. But, like, I would never want to do that if I ever had children. I'm right. like, it It literally didn't make me behave. It just made me more evasive about what I was doing. <laughs> and when authority figures ask me, I'm like, I'm not going to fucking tell you. So, like... I don't think that, like, I mean, side note, don't spank your children. I, it doesn't, it, I, I, I don't think it's because you went through it. You should continue to do that. That's still abuse. Don't, don't hit your kids. And also, there's, like, literal studies showing that you shouldn't spank your children. Right. And, like, nothing good comes out of having your growing people equate love with violence and being hit. Like, that's just... Like, that's not a good way to set up a, a, a human, a healthy human psyche. Like, point blank. Totally. Yeah. My 
dad used a wooden cook spoon was his preference or just like threatening us by like snapping a belt together were his his choices and then like got super like offended and hurt when one time like my brother and I like broke something and he was clearly angry and we like ran and hid in a closet and he was like how dare you be afraid of me it was like well (laughs) like we didn't get spanked very often but like it doesn't actually take that much for like a child to be like well when this person who sometimes hits me is angry i'm not safe like that's literal logic yeah 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 it's it's pretty unfortunate and i feel like i've definitely have been in discussions with like other black people who are like well how else are my kids going to behave if i don't spank them and like hugging it out is like white people shit and it's like no having healthy emotions is like good for i like i'm sorry that like you've grew up in this ethan this is normalized but like don't beat your children and obviously like saying that is like a lot of people in this country get spanked beyond what is in, into a into the area of like being abused by your parents so like you know this is not just a thing in like the black community but like fuck so many conversations about like how else they gonna learn and i'm like your children don't need to be beaten into submission anyway that was a very long tangent about this um yeah don't don't beat your kids or else they might turn out like this yeah I also want to talk about um, the conversation between Vernon and Harry where Harry's like, well, I'll like tell Marge about me and Vernon's like, well, like beat the tar out of you. I don't, I guess I'm not like totally clear on like what I want to say about it aside from the fact that like, that's, I don't know, that's super fucked up. And I don't know. I feel like this chapter is making me... Like, the threats against Harry having the shit beat out of him is, like, nonstop in this chapter. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Like, Vernon raises his fist as if he's about to punch a 13-year-old Harry. And it's just... And it's just, like, it's, like, almost an afterthought in this chapter, you know? Right. It's just like, that's the, thank you. That's it. Because like, I, I understand that she, she being JKR really wants us to have this like incredible disparity between Privet Drive and Hogwarts. And I'm not going to say like, it shouldn't be the case that, that she wrote it so that Harry's home life is this terrible, but like, you you have to address this if you're gonna write it you have to write harry fucked up from it you know like raising your fist at a child as a threat is not an effective threat if you haven't if you don't have a history of hitting the child right like and no one it it never comes up like harry's trauma history from this never comes up no one is ever like 
even if it's like, okay, no one's ever going to step in. No one's ever like stepping in for Harry, right? Like giving him support or like helping him. And again, like, okay, roll doll novels, like in roll doll novels, the children get the upper hand. That's the point. And that doesn't happen. Like there's nothing here that in any way like alleviates this and Harry is like sassy and talking back and like these things don't go together like they Harry's attitude and what he's going through up until the point where he starts like accidental magic reacting to what Marge is saying like they don't they're it's incongruous it it just seems like the way that it's written is way too cavalier for like what is actually happening. Yes. Which is yes, I agree I agree with the things that you're saying because yes, it's just like it's just there and then it's just like never dealt with and it just is it's very icky feeling. Mhm. Yeah, the uh complimentary uh, the complimentary line that uh, Marge has is telling her to write to Harry's school for criminally deviant children to say that she approves the use of extreme force in Harry's case. Which is like that's fucking awful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, like the extreme force thing actually leads really well into one of my points, which is like partly about Harry Potter and partly just about the world being terrible. Um, Cause I did research into uh, caning in schools just to see, I was like, is, was that still a thing, you know, in 1993? The answer is yes. Um, caning, like hitting children corporal punishment in the UK was banned in 1986 for public schools, but was allowed in private schools until 1998. So at this point in the UK, it would have been legal for them to be beating Harry in a private school. Which I was really upset about until I got to the section about the U.S. where it is still legal in 18 states for children to be hit in school. And as of like a study or a, I don't know, census or whatever you want to call it in for of the 2011-2012 school year, I didn't write the number down, but I think it was 167,000 children were hit in public schools um which is a lot of children i i like can't imagine be okay with that i feel like if i had a child and a teacher hit my child i would literally rip out rip out their throat with my teeth i'm just like what like and especially because like there are some also terribly terrible racist white ladies who are teachers in schools full of brown children who are like they shouldn't be allowed to like i don't know call the cops on them or like 
write Donald Trump to get them deported, let alone be allowed to hit them. Yeah, and the worst part is that almost all of the 18 states where it's still legal are in the South, where those attitudes are, you know, much more, like, frequent um, and tolerated. Maybe not more frequent, but much more tolerated and much more public. Mm-hmm. Um And I think even though this is old, I think the worst part of what I learned from this research is that in 1977, a court case ruled that the Eighth Amendment, the like Eighth Amendment clause prohibiting cruel and unusual punishment did not apply to school children and that teachers could hit kids without parental consent. Oh, no cruelly and unusually apparently could hit children without parental consent oh no how does that happen there is so much abuse that happens there there is just but like how does a court rule that children do not get protected against cruel and unusual punishment it's like everyone else but not children because they're poor and or I don't know if they pick that up, but yes, it's like, oh, but if you're brown and poor or like white and poor, it doesn't matter because you're not a person. So. I should actually, that's a really good point. I should have looked into the court case to see like who was filing the complaint against the whoever. I don't know if it went to the Supreme Court or whatever, but this was like a nationwide like ruling like, oh, no, you can you can abuse children in schools. Can I segue from that to drowning dogs for being runty, which is one of Marge's other lovely qualities? I almost put in my notes that she is almost Quella DeVille. <laughs> because in the books, Quella DeVille does that to her pet cat, in which she just drowns all of her pet cats, cat kittens, as opposed to, I don't know, getting her cat fixed or something so yeah but also um i don't know just just sell it what are you doing why are you drowning this dog like a a litter of dogs right i think it's just the one just the runty one yeah like take it to the fucking animal shelter like so like here's the other weird thing which is like as i look this up because i have a whole thing about marge and her dogs which is so like the bulldog is like basically the like official animal of the uk mm-hmm. and so i'm like people would buy a tiny bulldog like what are you talking about like you don't have to fucking show them or whatever the fuck you're doing like sell it to some family that just wants to have a pet dog like what the fuck mm-hmm. but uh yeah just to show even how how horrible she is um, and also how obsessed she is with her, uh, with purity, with blood purity. Yeah. Marge would basically be a Death Eater if she was a witch. <laughs> this is going to be a weird thing to say, but I feel like Marge is too, she, what is the word that I want? Like, I feel like she would be Sirius's mom level where it was like, I like what they're doing, but I'm not going to participate. Like, it would be like beneath her to actively go out and participate in the things, but she would like give money 
to the cause. Oh yeah, she sure would. Doesn't that feel like more her style? Yeah. She would, uh, you know, she would raise her glass to Lord Voldemort and be like, here's a sack of gold. Um, have fun. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, what else about, what else about this, you know, peach of a human? Um, so another thing about bulldogs, besides being the national animal of the UK, um, and being like a thing where like, a symbol of the UK, which is like really going hard on, on her nationalism. All right, cool. Um, is that also that bulldogs, purebred bulldogs are the most, like one of the most inbred dogs you could be breeding. Like, <laughs> like, I mean, their faces are all like smushed and like female bulldogs can't give birth naturally. They all need to have C-sections because of the way that they're like hips like their bodies are like oh my god it's bad like they don't like live super long she's just such with like purity and nationalism but it's like she's breeding a dog that like can barely live and like shouldn't be as inbred and overbred as it is and i'm like girl what are you doing wow that's wild yeah bulldogs are a very sad breed of dogs please don't buy them pure y'all uh or at least not firsthand. Yeah, I mean, you know, ad- adopt, don't shop if you can. I have a question for you about, like, your read on, like, her relationship with Ripper versus, like, presumably the other 11 dogs that are, like, probably, like, you know, caged breeding dogs. I mean, they might not be caged, but I think those are dogs that, like, she cares for. She probably loves. Ripper sleeps in her bed. Totally. Ripper eats, eats from her plate. She she is carrying this dog around. Um, that is her child. The other dogs, you know, I feel like not so much. Like, they're, like maybe those other dogs are, like, her assets, I guess. I right. Guess. Yeah, that was kind of my, like, my question, like, how is it, like, was Ripper, like, her first, and then she decided to, like, get into breeding, or, like, I don't know, because it seems like... I don't know. Like, I think she loves that dog more than she loves Colonel Fubster. Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) Like, she barely likes Colonel Fubster. Yeah. So, but, yeah. Uh, do we want to talk about how she is like the Trunchbull or about the like weird way that she is described in this chapter? Well, I have, I have our, uh, you know, every new book list of holy shit, JKR, look at you go, uh, descriptions for all of our despicable characters so we can we can get into that at any point that you want to. Um, if you want to talk about how she's like the Trunchbull first, we can do that. Uh, yeah, I almost pulled down our copy of Matilda to see how the Trunchbull is described. Mm. <laughs> but I feel like it's, I feel like in my memory, it's not as... It's not fat shamey. Yeah, and it's not so... 
The trench bull was an Olympic shot putter. So she, it's very similarly, like, she's not performing femininity correctly, but she is, like, tall and broad and, like, very, very strong. So, yes, that is, I think, the the key difference in their descriptions is that the trunchbull, you know, is similarly, it's, like, shamey because she's too masculine in a similar way to Aunt Marge, but, like, minus the fat shaming. Yeah. And also, like, I don't know where to put this in, but ladies have mustaches. That's fine. I I don't know. I just wanted to say that because it, it kind of annoyed me that that's, like, I don't know. Like, so fucking what? Like, ladies have mustaches. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Because... Right, we, what are the words? It's it's to lean into the fact that, like, the mustache goes with the booming voice, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the large jaw. These are all things that are, like, she's not womanly, right? And, like, and so she's bad. And that's a separate kind of body shaming and, you know, gender policing so I guess, right, that's gender policing. And then, like, the body shaming is, like, a separate thing. We're coming yeah. at it from two angles with her. Yeah, right. Which is funny, because I would argue that, like, she is womaning correctly just in the, like, lack of empathy way that, like, white ladies don't want to admit that sometimes happens. Where it's like, I benefit from the patriarchy, so I am citing. I benefit from, like white purposes patriarchy so like i'm siding with it and like leaning in it hard but she is not doing it correctly because she's like too loud and too opinionated and she expresses her opinions like a man does as opposed to like the women that you're talking about have a very particular like etiquette that they follow to express their opinions um, and are like, it doesn't include like interrupting Uncle Vernon or like disagreeing with him in terms of like how much punishment Harry should get in the way that she does it. You know, interestingly enough, I guess I sort of read that as, and maybe this is, I mean, we don't actually get a sense, but I feel like she's the, I feel like she's older than Vernon. I feel like that's his older sister. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like a little bit of that dynamic is, like, her being, like, you know, I fucking change your diaper or some shit like that, where it's, like, he's never going to be able to, like, you know, get her to shut up, because it's, like, fuck you, I'm older. I agree. I agree with you completely about that. But, yeah. But, uh, but, no, you're right. That, her mannerisms and actions definitely is, like the incorrect way to woman (laughs) an incorrect way to woman because we get a similar gender policing with petunia that's like totally opposite where it's like she's the wrong kind of woman because she's like too thin and like overly nosy and like leaning into all of these other 
like leaning into tropes about like what it means to be a woman and then she's doing them too much and so mm-hmm. like she's bad because she's like too far on the other end much like we'll see with umbridge later right yeah it's like oh petunia's like a gossip and she's like always getting in other people's business and she's like not curvy and yeah whatever whatever i feel like it's not using these books but i feel like if she was described as shrill it would make sense whatever kind of like negative things people use to describe women Mm -hmm. i feel like something like that is like a yeah yeah I agree with you. But yeah, just part of our continued exploration about how the villains in this book gender, quote-unquote, incorrectly in ways that are maybe not great. (laughs) Perhaps. Perhaps not great. Which, I mean, is to say that, like, I think that there are some gender non-conforming villains that are, like, empowering None of the gender non-conforming villains in these series are. I mean, maybe Rita, once we get to her, if we qualify her as a villain. No, I think you're right. But I do think also, like, gender non-conforming villains that are empowering, it's, like, for a very specific subset of people. And for, like, the rest of people, it confirms gender biases and particularly confirms, like, homophobic beliefs because they usually are doing gender wrong in a way that's read as queer that's true and like as much as we might love like you know ursula and jafar and the bad guy from the princess and the frog which i've only seen once so i don't remember his name and the crab and moana who's basically david bowie like (laughs) they are all wonderful queer icons but I don't think that, like, the majority of people seeing them necessarily would, like, read them as icons, but instead would, like, subconsciously put them, file them away under, like, reasons to not trust or like gay people. Yeah. Just sad. I I do want to say that you're correct that people are not as empowered by queer villains as say my deep love of queer villains and it's because we need more heroes and people who aren't villains who are also gender non-conforming and queer in our media and we don't often get that yeah that's literally what may be my only complaint about hamilton is that the king is so foppish And I get it because that was literally like a trend in like the upper echelons of British society at that time to be very foppish. And so it's like, I think historically accurate from my like limited understanding of that time period in England. But like the way it comes across to a modern audience is just like gay villain. Gay villain. There's a reason that like, his songs are my favorite ones to sing, right? <laughs> Same as like Jafar's songs are my favorite ones to sing. But like it also, yeah, just I think con- confirms ideas that can be harmful. Yeah. No, you're you're correct. And that like it is really unfortunate in these series that like we don't see like 
any of like Harry's friends or like allies like be I mean besides Tonks who was a hero mm-hmm. and Hagrid who was also a hero yeah but in both of those cases we're like reading their queerness in to a story that doesn't give it to us as that's true I I almost almost maybe I do straight up believe that Tonks and Remus were put together because J.K. Rowling realized how queer Tonks was reading and maybe how queer Remus was reading and was like I better do something about that I mean I would believe that I mean I can't imagine that I mean the shipping of Sirius and Lupin must have started right after book three came out so like that would have been several years of people being like obsessed mm-hmm. you know so and there's like nothing about Tonks that doesn't read as queer up until the point where they're suddenly in a relationship with a man and like fall apart when their relationship isn't working out which is just... which is like seems very disingenuous of their character totally i just it's i just am like that didn't happen (laughs) i just erase it from the canon when i think about it because it just is like so unforgivable to me but that's a bunch of books in the future (laughs) um can we transition from people doing gender wrong to people doing having bodies wrong you sure can. And I'm going to read my my fun lists. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> so here's a list of the descriptions of Dudley that we get in this. What is it? Like a 12-page chapter? Something like that. It is a very short chapter. Yeah. Which is mostly about Harry and Marge's interaction. Yeah. Okay. So in these very few pages, we get the following descriptions of Dudley. First thing that we see is him getting a new TV in the kitchen because he's been complaining about the walk from the refrigerator to the television. And so he gets a TV in the kitchen where he proceeds to watch television and eat, quote unquote, continuously for the whole summer. Physically, he's described as having piggy little eyes, five chins that are wobbling while he eats, porky shoulders, a fat head, many chins, and eating a fourth slice of pie. Vernon is described as being a beefy man with very little neck, having a great purple face, and having little eyes twice. Petunia is described as bony and horse-faced, and then again as having a bony cheekbone. And more in terms of the like doing gender wrong, she's described as drinking coffee with her pinky out. Marge is described as large, beefy, and purple-faced, twice described as having a mustache, having a large jaw. Four times her voice is described as booming. She has a huge face, a great tweed stomach, a great red face, and tiny eyes. That's like an entire page's worth of just fucked up descriptions of people's bodies in a very short chapter. Yeah, like, not even a lot happens in this chapter for there to be that many fucked up descriptions. I I think my first read-through, all I did was underline 
just like <laughs> physical descriptions of people. And then I had to go back through and like underline the other stuff that I wanted to talk about. Yeah, it's like, I mean, I think it's, I don't know. I, sometimes it's okay to use an economy of words in your descriptions, <laughs> especially since we're on book three. But also, what the actual fuck? Like, what if they just, like, looked like regular-ass people and were terrible? Like, most terrible people. Descriptions of people being fat or having big faces or whatever don't actually have to be derogatory. Like, you can still have vernon and dudley be fat people and just have that be like totally separate from who they are to harry if you want because like i guess what i mean is like i don't mean to say that like being fat does not like disqualifies you from being like a regular ass person but more that it's like should be an uninteresting aspect of a character's description And, like, the descriptions, especially of, like, Dudley eating and being, like, not only is he, like, eating all summer, but he eats while his chins are wobbling. Yeah, I don't don't think we ever get a description of, like, anyone else's chin or whatever. And, like, you know who's, you know who, you know who's a chunky character? Neville. Neville is an adorable chunky character. We never get those kind of descriptions about him. Nope. Nope. It it's almost like J.K. Rowling hates fat people or something. I think J.K.R. just believes that uh, you know if you really want to show the villains, they have to be fat people or incredibly thin people, right? Because because Petunia both, is too thin. Those are both very evil body types, and so is Voldemort. I feel like yeah, yep. When we get into Dudley's fucking diet. And his, like, transformation from, like, bad because he's fat to, like, bad because he's, like, ripped, which is a whole separate thing. It'll be a fun discussion. LOL Big D. (laughs) Yeah. Which is the most, like, punk kid fucking, like, I don't know, Eminem listening to ass name of her. That's true, and also, like, it just sounds like they're talking about his dick. Which, which they they might also be alluding they to. They might be. So. <laughs> that actually might be everything I have. Do you have anything else? Oh, okay, I do have one more thing. Is that, probably because this is a children's book um, at this point, it is sort of miraculous that the only thing that happens when Harry loses his shit finally at Marge is that she blows up like a balloon. Mm. I don't know. I feel like... Is that what happens to Augustus Gloop or is that what happens to Violet? That's what happens to Violet is that she swells into a giant blueberry. Okay. And they have to juice her. (laughs) Yes. Which, what? (laughs) Uh, Speaking of people who have very flexible and robust bodies about about dying yeah every child yeah. besides charlie in that book it's 
Well, I think it's because what happens to them is magic. But, uh, totally... Wait, no, we're not done with your point. So your point is, like, that Harry didn't do something more violent to her. I mean, now he not more, more violent, but, like, I don't know. Even just, like, more... Like, he could have just, like, magicked her mouth away or something. Oh. Uh. But, like, she just blow, ex- blows up and, like, floats away. So. Yeah. Welcome to Advertisements, where we ask you for money and then, hopefully, make you laugh. Subject. Oops, I did it again. You see, our problem is this. We're exuberant, and we just love to overcommit. Suddenly, we're spending all day, which if we had money would be so okay. So, to keep this podcast on, we need you on Patreon. (laughs) That's so great! (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) Which, just, if anyone didn't catch it, you can sing those words to the song Oops, I Did It Again by Britney Spears. So, um... (laughs) So yeah, we we do in fact need you on Patreon and you would benefit from joining us on Patreon because we do lots of cool stuff over there, including our special for the month of October. Uh, we are running a special this month on Patreon. If you update your support level or join us at the 10 or $25 level, you will receive a hand-drawn portrait of yourself by friend of the pod and very talented artist Theo Julian Forrester. At the $10 level, it'll be a line drawing. And at the $25 level, it is a full-color drawing of yourself in the in Hogwarts robes with the house of your choice with our newspaper background. Do you want an example of that? You can visit our website where we have it somewhere. Yeah, you can find it um, (laughs) on our socials and on Patreon. So it's a public post on Patreon. You'll be able to see it regardless of if you sign up. Um, So that's patreon.com slash thegailyprofit. And there you will also be able to see all of the myriad things that you get at both of those levels. And even if you don't have the funds right now to sign up at one of those levels, you could still sign up at the $1 or $5 level and get a bunch of great stuff at that level as well. So, yeah, thank you all so much. And thank you to everyone who is already a patron. You all make our lives better and this podcast more sustainable. Also, we love you. We love. You. We just love you so much. <laughs> All right, next advertisement. Subject: Seeking a moment of reprieve. Harry Potter Analysis Podcast seeks one single amusing thing to make an advertisement joke about in this nightmare of a chapter. If you've noticed a single solitary joke in these pages that isn't punching down, please contact me. Signed, crying in a corner. <laughs> Oh, yeah, this chapter's so awful. (laughs) I, like, was trying really hard to, like, find anything vaguely amusing that just wasn't just, like, the, like, crying emoji just in a string of things. Yeah. Yeah. 
I did actually just now, while reading it, realize that I could have done one that was like seeking a heart that was like from J.K. Rowling, looking for someone to help her not be such a fucking monster. But I didn't think <laughs> of it in time, so it's not here. Oh my god! Well, that's that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gaily Prophet. Uh, if you want to support us, you can tell all your friends about our podcast. Word of mouth is an excellent way that people find new podcasts. Uh, and we don't want to rely on the questionable iTunes algorithm. <laughs> so uh, tell all your friends and maybe share some of our stuff on social. We are on social media at The Gaily Prophet on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You could also rate and review us on iTunes so we can beat that their terrible algorithm <laughs> <laughs> and people know just how quality we really are. <laughs> if you have a little bit of extra cash, you can buy our merch on our website, uh, thegaillyprofit.com. We have some very cute merch. Or leave us a donation. You also get surprise gifts uh, if you donate money to us. They are, in fact, actually plainly stated on the oh. donation tiers what you get for them. But... <laughs> I knew I knew that. I've looked at our recently. Um <laughs> if you have a little more cash, you can support us on Patreon. Um we have levels for all price point at all price points. Um from paying off your student loans to <laughs> embezzling money from this shitty startup. <laughs> Patreon.com slash the galley profit. <laughs> Yeah, you can also write to us at thegaleyprofit at gmail.com or by clicking on letters to the editor on our website or by DMing us on any of our social platforms. I do want to jump in and reiterate how incredibly helpful it is when you boost our posts, especially on Instagram algorithms on like twitter and facebook are much less predictable but on instagram like the more likes comments and shares a post has the more people see them and our posts that get seen more get us more followers which means that our posts in general get more and i don't know people who don't have a business instagram account probably don't know that there are a bunch of features that business accounts don't have access to until we hit certain follower numbers so you are literally making our Instagram experience better for you by increasing our follower numbers so that we can do more things on Instagram. Also, it's just really good for my self-confidence when you like and comment on and share the things that I spend way too long making for Instagram. So, <sighs> Yeah, really uh, makes me miss live journal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, yeah. Uh, yup. Uh, uh, in between episodes, you can find me on LiveJournal. <laughs> oh mean, my god. Actually, I do still have a LiveJournal that I have not updated in many years. That is my fandom LiveJournal. Um, maybe if we ever hit a different pa a different uh, Patreon goal, I will post a link. Holy uh, shit. <laughs> this is a good idea. Uh... But in the meantime, <laughs> you can find me on current social medias like Twitter at Jesse underscore Detroit 
or Instagram at live from Detroit. You can find me on my website, which is largmalachi.com, where you can book a tarot reading with me by clicking on tarot. And you should, because it's fun. You can also find me on Instagram at Lark Malachi. Our theme music is by Kevin McLeod. Our spoiler warning is by Sarah Sarwar. And our show art is by friend of the pod, Theo Gillian Forrester, who will who also draws weekly comics for each chapter episode, which if you're not looking at or investigating on our social medias, you really should be. Mm-hmm. They're rad. That is very true. And until next time. Wow. 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 <laughs> wow. Amazing. Oh, what a nightmare of a chapter. Oh my god, why is there is nothing funny? Not one fucking thing. Everything was so heavy. Yep. It's tragic. Thank you.